Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, it is my joy to introduce to you our um, guest preacher today. Uh, he is my good friend, mentor, and Dennis, we are so grateful to have you here. This is Pastor Dennis Keating, and um, Den, no, no pressure, but my sermon last week shook the foundation of the earth, so may God be with you. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm just really honored to be back. And I was watching online when the earthquake happened, and I thought you handled that really, really well. And uh, especially that I'm sure that you asked the Lord to do it right at that exact moment and had that all worked out. Well, uh, I'd like to begin our, our time together asking for a little bit of input from you. I'm going to show you a couple of videos, and I want you to tell me whether you think this is a good idea or a bad idea. All right, watch this one. There's a guy empty in a pool. Well, good idea or bad idea? All right, let's see. I think maybe if he had stopped right there, but oh, okay. Now, I don't know if he had thought that completely through, especially using an axe that he almost fell on. And I'm sure the neighbors appreciated the watering of all their plants. Uh, oh, watch this one. This one, uh, what do you think? Good idea or bad idea? <laughs> you know, it's just funny to me you know, I, that she was surprised that that might happen, you know. But uh, before we're too hard on these uh, dear folks, Anybody else here develop a surefire plan for success that ended with an epic failure? Yeah, I think we all have. We just didn't have someone videotaping it, recording it for all of the world to see. Well, I begin with that topic because according to our passage of, of study this morning, God developed a plan that many people to this day think is based upon crazy thinking and destined for an epic fail. Now, what plan is that? Well, let's find out together. If you have your Bibles open, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're continuing the series called Fool's Gold, looking this morning at God's foolish plan. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, if you're if, you're finding your place here, uh, let me remind you of the historic context. Uh, last week, Pastor Ryan did a fabulous job of explaining how the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross was the fulcrum or the hinge or the primary key event in all of human history. But not only that, it was the focus of all of the Apostle Paul's ministry in preaching. See how he states it, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. This will set our context and then launch us into our study. Paul writes this, verse 23. But we preach Christ, what? Crucified. The present tense of the verb to preach here would emphasize that this was Paul's continuous message. His focus wasn't upon governmental freedoms and rights. 
His focus was not upon prosperity and health, though he spoke to those issues. His focus was set on Christ crucified. Now, how did the people of the day respond to that kind of a message? Well, the Jewish folks, verse 23, it was a stumbling block. Uh, in the original language, a scandalous. It was scandalous. They thought it was offensive that, that a Messiah would die on the cross. They didn't believe it. They thought the Messiah was going to be a heroic military and political uh, figure. And so Paul arrives preaching Christ crucified. Nah, we don't buy it. Uh, how did non-Jewish folks or Gentiles folks respond to the message of Christ crucified? Verse 23, to them it was foolishness. Just moronic nonsense. Because from a Greek perspective of the day, anybody who got himself crucified was an idiot that deserved to die. And so Paul comes in preaching this message. Uh, and the, most of the Gentile folks, nah, we don't buy it. But, Paul says, to those of us who have experienced salvation from our sin because of the message of Christ crucified, it's everything to us. Verse 24, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So according to the apostles' teaching here, God outsmarted humanity with his plan to use what most folks thought was a foolish and weak message to reveal his greatest wisdom and strength in saving people from the penalty of their sin. And every single one of us has to decide, are we going to believe God's foolish wisdom are we going to follow and believe the world's wisdom? Which will it be? What the world says is bright and beautiful. Are we going to follow Christ crucified? Paul had one message. Now, as he moved now into this second section, this next section, he added that God's plan was to use foolish individuals to take that foolish message of Christ crucified out to any that would listen to it. So let's read our text in its entirety and then we'll come back and pull it apart verse by verse. Verse 26. Paul writes, For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boast, boast in the who? Boast in the Lord. Now, there's a lot to unpack here in this passage, 
But I want to make sure that we hear clearly the main challenge from it. Here's the message and the challenge that God has for you and for me and us. He's going to say to us, just make sure you boast about the right things. This passage in many ways is all about boasting. The word is used three times in these last few verses. It means to take pride in something. And it's not wrong to take pride in what you do. That's not a sin for you to pursue excellence in your studies, in your work, in your schools. Take pride in the kind of job that you do, the work that you have. Nothing wrong with that. It's not a sin to acknowledge that you're gifted at certain things and that you've accomplished certain things. That's not a sin at all. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, we're simply told to think having sound judgment about our accomplishment. So think rightly, in other words. But what we are continuously warned about is having that pride go too far where it becomes bragging about ourselves. My dad used to call it tooting your own horn. (laughs) Don't go around tooting your own horn. He would say to me. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've achieved. Look what I've done. Look how good I am. Well, that's apparently what some in the Corinthian assembly were saying. They were boasting. But there's an additional issue at play here in their boasting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the word includes the idea of trusting or putting your full confidence in something. And since we're in the context of the message of Christ crucified, it appears that in that Christian assembly in ancient Corinth, they lost their confidence in the message of Christ crucified and were instead boasting about the values of their current culture. Putting their confidence in that, in their successes. And then they found teachers and they lined up behind those teachers that supported those cultural values. And before long, they became these little cliques and subgroups within the church that were battling each other and not liking each other and they hated Paul and they... You know, beloved, it doesn't take an advanced degree in political science and theology to see that's the exact same thing that's happening in the evangelical church in America today. We've lost focus on the message of Christ crucified, but instead of focused upon other messages that people are asked to put their full trust and their confidence in. I'm aligned with this political party. I listen to this news source. I do not believe that doctor. Now, let me be very careful to say there's nothing wrong with holding strong opinions. I have very strong opinions on things. 
The challenge has to do with what we boast or put our full confidence in. And I think Pastor Ryan, absolutely right. He's gifted at what he does. He's absolutely right. A chaotic world needs a confident church. And I would simply add, it needs to be confident about the right things. Now, again, I'll say it. Keep your opinions. Have your opinions as you're persuaded. But I would simply submit to you that the division in the evangelical church today based upon political and cultural agendas is boasting or putting our confidence in the wrong things. So hold your views passionately. But Emmanuel Faith, never, ever lose sight of the biblical mandate given to every believer and every church assembly in verse 31. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And this is what identifies us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We boast in a crucified and risen Savior who has forgiven us and set us free from the penalty of our sins. That is what we are supremely confident about. Why? Because that's the message alone that can change and transform a person's life. It's the message of Christ crucified that can transform the serial adulterer. It's the message that will set the addicted free from pornography to drugs to you name it. This is the message that brings together ethnicities, that brings together different age groups, that brings together disparate economic levels. It's the only message that will bring together the defund the police people and the proud boys. No political party will do that. No political leader will do that. The only one who can do that is the crucified and risen Savior. That's why the apostle said in Galatians 6.14, but may it never be that I would boast except in the, what? Cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's the message that changes people from the inside out. Only a crucified savior can change the leper's spot, Jeremiah 12. Only a crucified savior can take that heart of sin and selfishness and turn it into a heart of love and compassion for others. And that's why we're told through the prophet Jeremiah, here's the word of the Lord. Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast in his might. Let not a rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me that I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, who exercises unfailing love, loyal love, never-ending love, loving kindness 
towards my people. I exercise justice. I bring about that which is right on earth because I delight in these things. I delight in transforming. I delight in changing and helping, declares the Lord. So, did you come to hear from the Lord this morning? Come on. Did you come to hear from the Lord this morning? You didn't come to, you didn't come to hear, hear from me. The word of the Lord to you, me, and us is boast about the right things. Don't boast about the wrong things. Boast in the Lord. And so when you leave this place and somebody says, hey, how did I heard the old guy was there? <laughs> what was the message about? Simple. What are you going to do? Boast in the Lord. Never been what a magnificent church we are. It's always a, what a magnificent Savior we have. Say. All right, you got it? All right, we can go home. <laughs> that's the point. And you get that, you got the point. The issue is that the Apostle Paul didn't stop there, so I won't either. If you're going to boast in the Lord, it'll be really helpful to remember three things. First, remember your humble background. Let's pull these verses apart now. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brethren. Calling here uh, refers not to your vocation, but your calling to salvation. So Paul says, stop for just a second and think about the kind of person you were before you got saved before you received the Lord Jesus, before you opened your heart to him, before you followed him and became his disciple. Will you do that? Well, in the Corinthian church, if they stopped, they'd realize, verse 26, there are not many wise according to the flesh. The original word sophos, wise, refers to the skilled and those skilled in sophistry or rhetorical or philosophical debate. Paul says, not many intellectuals among you. I mean, if you just look around, Paul says, you'll see that you're kind of salt of the earth kind of people, kind of plain speaking folks. Verse 26, not many mighty not many influ influential. There, there weren't many power brokers in the Corinthian church. Verse 26, not many noble. The, word, uh, the original word literally is well-born. We would call them blue bloods. In Downton Abbey language, he says, look around. Not many are from upstairs. Most of them are from where? Downstairs. Paul says, just look around at your background. And then he says, God still called you. What's the point? Listen, beloved, God saved us not because of who we are, but despite it. Take a look around, Emmanuel Faith. We're not, we're not filled with movie stars. We're not filled with pro athletes. 
We have a few CEOs. We have a few CFOs. We even have a few UFOs, if you just want to be honest about it. But we, can, we, we just recognize none of us are going to get our picture on the cover of any magazine anytime soon. Beloved, we don't boast in our background. We boast in the Lord. And based upon what the apostle has written here, I think it's good for the evangelical church in America, again, to reject celebrity Christian culture in all of its forms that's coming into the church. We don't have to have a Grammy award-winning singer to lead our worship. We will never have a rock star preacher. We never have and we still don't today, okay? (laughs) What are we? We're bankers and beauticians. We're students and teachers. We're accountants and asphalt layers. We're pharmacists and former drug users. But none of that deterred God from calling and saving you and me and us. Just take a look around, Paul says. Why in the world would you boast in yourselves? Boast in the Lord. Remember that. Secondly, remember God's sovereign design. Verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base or the lowly things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. You'll notice three times in this verse the apostle says God has chosen. It's his way of emphasizing that God had a predetermined sovereign plan to do the exact opposite of what the world would have chosen to do if it was trying to make an impact on others. The exact opposite. He sovereignly decided, verse 27, to use what society calls the foolish, the non-intellectuals the undereducated, to get his gospel out. He chose the weak things, the feeble, the imperfect, the struggling. Verse 28, he chose the base things, those without reputation and those without fame. He chose the despised, the trailer trash, the low life. He chose the things that are not. In Greek culture, that would have been a horrible insult. You're nothing. Well, God decided by himself to use those the world system devalued to communicate the most valuable message the world could ever hear, and that of Christ crucified. 
And why did he do it that way? Verse 27, was to shame the world. Not so much feelings of shame, but to show that their values were shameful. They're faulty. They're unwise. And in the Corinthian church, they were lifting up these values, their sexual prowess, their financial advancement, their education, their rhetorical and oratory skills, external beauty, their heritage. And Paul says, well, God doesn't value any of that. Matter of fact, our Lord said in Luke chapter 16, that which is highly esteemed among men is, what's the word? Detestable. Detestable in the sight of God. And so by choosing the devalued, he nullified the earthly values and wisdom of the culture. And that's why he always designed it to be. Oh, you read in your Old Testament, uh, the Philistines, they sent out a big giant warrior. Nine feet tall, he's got Keflar all over him, he spears, he's, you know, SEAL Team 23, you know, that kind of guy. And who does God send out to fight him? A punk kid. Because God doesn't value the things that the world values. The Hebrew people running away from Egypt. They got the Egyptian army fully armed. Chariots, think Ben-Hur, think, you know, the whole nine yards. And the Hebrew people, they're easy prey because they're right up against the sea. What does God do? He just says, Moses, just take your stick, your staff, your walking stick. Just take it, move it over the water. I'll separate the waters for you. And that's his plan. And then he called all of those nothings together. Saved them by the message of Christ crucified. Brought them together in a thing called the church. And why did he do it that way? Verse 29 God chose to do it that way so that no man may boast before God. Here's the point. God alone has the power to turn a nobody into a somebody. Centuries ago, a group of men were seen hauling a huge chunk of Carrera marble into a church courtyard in Florence, Italy. The great sculptor Donatello, not the Ninja Turtle, but the great sculptor <laughs> Donatello had planned to sculpt that 
hunk of rock into an Old Testament prophet, but when he examined the marble, it was defective, had imperfections and cracks and unusable, so he rejected it. And it just sat out in that courtyard, getting weathered and until a, a young sculptor came along and he had a vision for it. And so he had folks haul that imperfect lump of stone into a, a room where he worked on it in secret for two years. And when he was finished, they had a great reveal. And he brought the statue out covered and when he dropped the cover, this is what Da Vinci and Donatello and all of the masters saw. Michelangelo's David. Maybe one of the most beautiful sculptures the world will ever see. Hmm. Beloved, that's what God did with you and with me and us. Imperfect cracks, broken, flaws. And it was his sovereign design to take me and you and us broken lumps here to sculpt us into a masterpiece. But remember, he did it through a foolish message of Christ crucified. But it's precisely here that the ancient believers got off track and they didn't put their boast in that. Instead, they started boasting arrogantly about their self-sufficiency and their maturity. Look at me, I'm better than you. My group is better than you. My leader is better than you. And Paul writes to them and says, stop boasting in man. That's boasting about the wrong things. Instead, boast about Christ crucified. And it'll really help if you remember your backgrounds, if you remember what God has done, and if you remember Jesus' gracious provision. That's how Paul ends verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. The reason that we're saved, the reason that we're forgiven, the reason that we're part of this church is not because of who we are or what we've done. It's all because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. We're saved by his doing. And that's Paul's essential message time and again. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We know it well. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not as a result of work so that no one may, what's the word? Boast. Boast. And so he, he calls us and he works in us and he transforms us and he became, verse 30, to us, wisdom from God. 
And thus, the most uneducated and simple social misfit who is called by the word of the cross understands what the world's most gifted philosophers who scoff at the gospel aren't capable of understanding. The forgiveness of sins only comes through Christ crucified. And that wisdom, given as a gift the moment we believe, brings with it, verse 30, righteousness. Being in a right relationship with God, it brings, verse 30, sanctification or holiness, that we are now clean and we are pure in the eyes of a perfect judge. It brings to us, verse 30, redemption. We're now free from guilt, the penalty of sin before a holy judge. And none of it happened because of what you and I do. It happened because of his doing for us. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. You know what? My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. That's why Paul summed up this section with a quote from prophet Jeremiah, verse 31. Just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what this is all about. Boasting in the Lord. In Colossians chapter 2, we're told that Every sin I've ever committed, you've ever committed, is recorded by God. Every time you failed and trespassed, that you sinned against him, you didn't do what he commanded you to do. Every time it's written down. Every time you and I and we neglected to do something that God said, do this. And we said, nah, I don't think so. It's written down. And the apostle called it a certificate of debt, a penalty imposed. Mine's a long list. <laughs> well, in Colossians chapter 2, we're told that that certificate of debt, mine, yours, ours, that certificate of debt was nailed to the cross. In my mind, I see it down below our Lord's feet. Can you see him hanging on the cross? Can you see him? Thorns in his scalp, blood from the torture and the abuse and the nails, and the spear and the whipping. You see it dripping down his body, gravity pulling down and off his toes. Can you see it? It doesn't fall on the ground. I see it falling on my certificate of debt. And what it's doing 
is washing away that record of the penalty of my sin. That's why we boast in the Lord alone. Only he can change us from the inside out and bring us back into a right relationship with God. No no greater proof of it than the cross. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.